to the and watching the progressive commentary hour the theme today is about covid re-examining what actually happened and the interesting part of this discussion today as you will see is what information are we now learning that is giving us a whole new perspective upon the consequences of the actions of those in charge the world health organization the national institutes of health and allergies anthony fauci's input Bill Gates' input, uh, Collins at the National Institutes of Health, all these individuals, Walensky at the CDC, these were people who were trusted. And for most people, rightly so, because they had a reputation, they had background, they had pedigree that showed that they could be the smartest people in the room. And therefore, who are we, without their education, without their background in science or medicine, to offer anything? We were supposed to simply trust the science trust the scientists, the medical doctors, the protocols, and that was it. Except unlike previous health emergencies, anyone, no matter what the degree of your background, your training, your clinical experience, you were not to interfere. It was very specific. If you did, there would be three consequences. One, the state medical boards would challenge your license to practice medicine, and who wants to give that up? Secondly, the media would suddenly target you as a anti-vaxxer, a disinformation person, and therefore everything that you had presented would no longer be a, even searched through algorithms on Facebook, Google, and your background biographer, would an anonymous person would write about you up on uh, Wikipedia. And since more people go to Wikipedia into the billions, around six billion per month to get their information, then you would be portrayed as a person who had no credibility. In effect, you were anti-science, you were a quack, and that would be it. And as a result, these people suddenly, who never had experienced this in their entire medical practice, they were suddenly finding if they offered any constructive input that they were at risk of losing everything they had accrued up to that point. And some of these people would practice medicine, some were MD, PhDs for over 40 years, never a blemish. All were pro-vaccine at least initially, on this. So that's where we have our guests coming in. John Bodim is a trained engineer. He is a career manager for 40, excuse me, 30 years in research and development for semiconductor devices manufacturing. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in engineering and an MBA in management. But earlier on in the COVID-19 pandemic, John began to investigate the scientific data, which led to a lawsuit against the governor of Massachusetts over the state's mask mandate. At 56 years of age, he entered the law school but was forced to unenroll by the school for not complying with the vaccine mandate. Last year, John was able to gain access to all of Massachusetts death certificates since 2015. By the way, that's almost 500,000. This led to an in-depth mining and analysis of the death records to conclude, well, let's see what John concludes, because you are going to be presented with documentation and information that could reasonably be held that this was a massive fraud and that there were vaccine-related deaths hidden with intent or mislabeled even for children. 
The data also confirms much of what we have reported on this program about COVID vaccines adverse effects, including blood diseases, heart and circulatory disorders, uh, strokes and cancer. Currently, his research is a part of a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court against the state governor, public health commissioner, chief medical examiner, and four other individuals. He writes on Substack, let me spell this for you, at C-O-Q-U-I-N-D-E-C-H-I-E-N, Substack.com. Nice to have you with us today, John. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you, Gary. I realize that after you and your colleagues have reviewed so many death certificates, and by the way, I'm not aware of any other scientist or medical doctor that has reviewed 500,000 death certificates. It's kind of almost hard to imagine how you accomplish that, that there are many different layers to what you observed. I would like you, if you would, please, to take your time and walk us through the more disturbing discoveries you made regarding causes of death after the modified RNA vaccine rollouts and the regular baseline prior. And we have had the SARS-2 virus in our midst for almost four years now, and we're being told right now, oh, you've got to get your eighth and ninth and tenth booster, and we have new vaccines. They haven't been tested on humans, but on animals. And we're now concerned because if they made so many mistakes, so many errors, either innocently or with malice, then why should we trust anything they have to say today? And since there are hundreds of doctors and scientists whose reputations have been destroyed, and they were right, it turns out, they were telling the truth and that we could have saved a lot of lives. And instead of saving lives by conscientious physicians, the people in power told us, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Go to a hospital when you're too sick and then get intubated or take the one drug that Anthony Fauci promoted and improved, and that is remdesivir. And now we're seeing the consequences. So please take your time. Try to keep it in lay language as much as possible, though I understand some of this is going to have to be a little little technical. The forum is yours. Thank you very much. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much a regular guy, so uh, it, it should be in lay terms, absolutely. I, I think I'll start with um, why did I get the data? I learned from the CDC very early on that um, there was a problem with some data that I had downloaded from one of the files. And when I told them that there was an error in the 2014 through 2018 file, uh, there's, an, there's an email address for each file they offer online at the CDC site. And so I wrote to the keeper of that record, um, did not receive a response, but the record disappeared for a day and a half about 36 hours, I kept checking, like, where's the file? They took it down. Well, it came back up. And when it came back up, the error was gone, but it wasn't the math that was corrected. It wasn't the calculations that were corrected. It was the data. It wasn't corrected. It was just changed. And you can't just go back into the past and change data on a whim from a guy who sends an email to you from, you know, Medfield, Massachusetts. That's uh, that's wrong. So being an engineer, you know, I'm a stickler for numbers. So I, I just thought, wow, this is wrong. So I started looking into it. I went to law school. Uh, they kicked me out of law school, even though I before I went a day there, I had an email to the director of admissions saying, it says here I have to take a vaccine. I'm not going to take a vaccine. I'm 50-something years old, and I, I'm deaf in one ear from 1968 when they gave me a shot. They made a bunch of kids go deaf, and I was lucky to have one ear left. Um, and the guy wrote back and said, don't worry, you're over 30. You don't have to get the vaccine. So I have it in writing that in incorporates it in a contract with the school to, to matriculate. Uh, so that's that's one lawsuit against the school. 
And then I have another lawsuit against the governor. I'll get into that in a few minutes. But what happened was I had time on my hands. I wasn't going to school. I wasn't working. I was looking into the data. Uh, some of my findings with the regular data that everybody else has, which is the CDC data. Um, and of course, if you're in England, it's the NHS data and different countries. Um, everybody's got the same data. Okay, Johns Hopkins, they talk about their data. It's not their data, it's the CDC data. All data derives from, um, with regard to deaths, uh, derives from the, uh, in the United States, it's the states. They regulate the, the death certificates and have laws that it has to be created in a certain amount of time, and then they have to update it with the causes. Um, so the CDC's data is basically an aggregation of all the state data. Now, I'm driving to the gym one day in January of 2022, and I hear on the radio that a seven-year-old girl died from COVID. Now, for everything that I know, after looking through everything, a seven-year-old healthy girl does not die of COVID. It doesn't happen. So I thought, hmm, what can I do? And um, I, I created about seven different, uh, no, it was eight, eight different public records requests. That's the Massachusetts version of a, a FOIA, uh, Freedom of Information Act. So in Massachusetts, the state law calls it a public records request. I spread them among eight different people uh, so they wouldn't all have my names on them and all get rejected. And of the, of the eight, seven were rejected and one came through. And it just so happened to be the entire database for, I asked for the specific records of this girl. They said no but they gave me the entire database of all death certificates in Massachusetts since 2015. At the time, it was 420,000. Updates have got it up to 500,000. So, um, yeah, I've got, you know, first, middle, and last names, medical examiners, you know, license number, office address, burial location, whether they're cremated, whether there was an autopsy, all the causes of death, everything. 315 different columns for every record for 420,000 420, um, and, and of course, I looked at hers first, and it said, indeed, um, the exact phrase on her death certificate in part one, and part one is the causes, part two is the con contributing conditions. Part one, the only thing listed, complications of coronavirus 19 viral infection. That's it. How can you die from complications of something when there's nothing else listed? Your complications of a disease, but what are the complications? Did she die of a heart attack? Did she die of a pneumonia? I mean, were her lungs? Nothing. That's it. So I thought, well, something's up here. <laughs> so um, I did a search in bears and uh, people kind of, you know, they, they poo poo bears saying, oh, it's it, anybody can write anything in there. Well, um, when you correlate the age, especially a seven year old girl and you correlate it's, it's a female uh, and then finding the, um, the injection date of January 13, where Cassidy, the seven year old girl died on January 18, it's only five days apart. And then you read the record and realize, um, okay, let me check all the seven-year-old girls that died in the entire state of Massachusetts in that time frame. And there's only three others, not on the same, you know, not within a, within a week of Cassidy. There's no question in my mind. The VAERS record matches. And when I asked, uh, part of my lawsuit is a determination, is this the exact girl? I mean, I already know it is to a 99 point whatever percent rate, uh, but I want the state to tell me for sure. That was her injection date, and that is the girl, because the VAERS report said that she was injected, she reacted in five minutes, she vomited for eight to 10 hours, and that's the first vaccine. And the report says in the second vaccine, that's the event that is written about, that she immediately had abdominal pain, spiked 103 degree fever, didn't have a bowel movement for three days, and the report ends because it was written on January 15. 
Cassidy died on January 18th. So if it's the same girl, the state owes us an explanation. Why did they write that she died from COVID when she reacted to the vaccine in five minutes the first time, in a very short time, which is undetermined as far as the report, but it had to be you know, within hours or minutes with abdominal pain the second time and was dead within four and a half days. So that's that's one example. And that's why, you know, she is what prompted me to get the database. So then I started looking at at others and I found that um, when you look at CDC data, there are things called uh, Simpson's paradox. What that means is um, if you if, if you look at a signal of aggregated data, there may not be a signal there. Maybe let's say baseline. It looks like zero. It's, it's the same as the prior five years. Doesn't look any different. But if you separate, say, age groups, you notice that one is down and the other's up. Well, okay, the one that went down is because a whole bunch of people died the prior year, and now there's a deficit. But then you have the younger people dying, and uh, you 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 couldn't see that because you were looking at the aggregated data of all ages. This is just one example. I mean, it, it causes of death and uh, genders. And, and if you separate all the variables, you realize there are plenty of signals in there. They're just obfuscated or, or they're hidden because negative one plus one is zero. And it looks like there's no signal. So what I did is I started looking at age groups different from what the CDC bundles uh, and gives to people. Most people look at 65 and older. You think, okay, that, that's a good cutoff. It's actually not a good cutoff because the average age of COVID death in Massachusetts in 2020 was 81.3. Well, how did it get so high when normally it's 75.8, uh, the average age of death? Well, it's because most of the people dying from COVID were in their 90s and their upper 80s, which is very different from being 65. I'm, I'm 59 now. I just came back from the gym. Now I can go swim 3,000 yards. <laughs> I will not be able to do that at 85 years old. Um, there's, there's a big difference. And so what, that is actually what happened um, in the pandemic in Massachusetts lasted, and I'm, I'm in all cause deaths right now, just looking at, at all cause. And I thought, you know, all cause is something they can't, they can't fudge. They can't say, you know, on the death certificate, they write COVID on all these death certificates. Um, that's fine. They can, they can cheat. They can say somebody died of COVID when they didn't. Uh, like acute fentanyl intoxication, they tested the dead body, you know, OD on, on fentanyl. They test the dead body for COVID. They add COVID to the death certificate, even though that's that's fraud. But they do it as a matter of custom and practice because of the CARES Act, which solicits that fraudulent behavior. Um, there's a reason behind everything that happened. There's a lot of behavior modifications. But let me let me get back to the all cause. So in eight weeks, from mid March to mid June in Massachusetts, in a very similar curve in New York and New Jersey, and I'll, and I'll talk about these three states in a minute. Um, let me finish all cause first. The pandemic lasted uh, eight to nine weeks. That was it, uh, if you want to call it a, a pandemic. So a disease came in and the government reacted and either the disease killed people or the government reactions killed people. I don't want to argue that right now. Um, but there was a huge wave of excess deaths in mostly very old people. Okay, that's, that's done. They can't die again, they've already died. Then you have nothing all summer long and you have a wave in the winter time that began around end of November. And in that wave, uh, which was one quarter to one third the original wave. So, you know, is it a pandemic or is it just a bad flu year at that point? The pandemic's over. Um, so in looking at the numbers and separating out the ages, 
I did a I did a heat map and I, I did uh, 24 semi-monthly periods down the left side of a spreadsheet and across the top all these age groups and I broke it down into five and ten year increments depending on where the, the margins were I wanted more granularity I'd do a five-year age group um, but in the younger I did like 25 to 44 which is a 20-year age group because they're all healthy middle-aged people um, so what I learned is where people survived COVID for an entire year in 2020 in the 65 to 79 range they started dying in 2021 a lot more so the excess of that age group was in 21 not 20 and there was a deficit from february to june a large deficit in the 85 plus age range because thousands of them died in nine weeks in 2020 they can't die again so the unhealthy were culled they're gone they can't die again now there's a deficit and the deficit from the 85 pluses cancels out the excess in the 65 to 79 for that uh, february to june range so you have a negative and a positive combining to make it look like if you do a 65 and older you've got all of them together and you don't see any sign but it's there it's there the 85 deficit canceled out the excess now when you get to around june all of a sudden it comes back up again above baseline above normal um every everybody's dying more you know and, and what are they dying from when i looked at um a couple of hot spots on the heat map and all caused I, I i went into the uh, first half of september and the first half of october of 2021 because that was a much more significant uh standard deviations above mean um, basically a couple of extra deaths. There were a lot of extra deaths. I said, that's a good place to look. And it was specifically in 65 to 74. So now I have a place to look. I filtered on that and I started reading individual death certificate records. And as I read them, it was, you know, cardiac arrhythmia, heart attack, heart attack, pulmonary embolism, pulmonary embolism, pulmonary embolism, pulmonary embolism, like, oh, what's going on with pulmonary embolism? There's something, something's going on here. And, uh, and then I realized, oh, there's the codes way over to the right side of the spreadsheet. They're called ICD-10 codes, something like international cause of death, uh, you know, version 10 code or something. But that it's an international coding for various causes. And I thought, wow, that's that's a really great way to do some analysis. So I started looking at the numbers. Um, so pulmonary embolism was big in the it's uh, I-26 uh, either dot zero or dot nine. It doesn't matter. I, you can look up I26 or I26.9. So I looked up I26.9 and lo and behold, in uh, 2015 through 19, I get my baseline. And then in 2020, oh, it's high. It, it went up, uh, you know, a little bit in, in 2020, uh, the year of COVID. Well, of course it went up. There were 8,800 excess deaths in 2020. You know, it met up, it, it went up just as a matter of um, more people died, and the percentage of people who die with pulmonary embolism, emboli, um, you know, it went up proportionately. But in 2021, the year of the thing that goes in your arm, all of a sudden it jumps even more. Well, all cause went down in 21 compared to 2020. Pneumonia went down. COVID was cut in half. How can all these go down and yet? 2021 pulmonary embolism deaths went way up. In fact, if you look at, you know, I have more data now, I have the 20, full 2022 year. 
So in 21 and 22, in Massachusetts alone, there are 500 excess pulmonary embolism deaths, 500. That is a lot of people for a single cause of death in a single state, more than normal, and many of them are much younger, much younger than, than all the COVID deaths. So in doing the, you know, looking at the causes of death, I determined that it's not just pulmonary embolism. I, I started saying, okay, let me look at all the, uh, the I codes. I codes are circulatory system, which includes the heart and you know all veins uh, lymphatic vessels arteries um, all your your aneurysms and clots and bleeds and things like that and then decodes are the blood itself and uh, blood forming organs um and I, and I looked at i codes and decodes and then j codes j are respiratory so you've got your influenza pneumonia your acute respiratory distress syndrome copd um and other you know upper respiratory lower respiratory infections and then they, they go even more detail, staphylococcus, uh, streptococcus, you know, if you have strep or what, what is the bacterium that is in your lungs? So they, they get very detailed, but I looked in generalities of all the I codes, all the D codes, all the J codes. And I looked at what, what was higher in excess in 20 or 21, which one was higher? And, it, and I looked and I highlighted, used conditional highlighting on the spreadsheet such that whichever was greater, 21 or 20, would turn yellow. And I applied all these, you know, equations and stuff, and I ran them all. And when I ran them all, I looked at the spreadsheet, and there's a big stripe on the 2020 column in in respiratory J codes. And then it moves over, and there's a yellow stripe in the 21 column for uh, the D codes, which are blood, and the uh, the um, uh, the I codes, which are circulatory system. So like, wait a minute, how, how can, if this is a disease causing the excess deaths, how can a disease all of a sudden change how it kills you from respiratory in 20 to circulatory in blood in 21? You know, I, I don't think it can. I think there's another externality that invaded our society, man-made, it, it sticks in your arm. I don't know what I'm allowed to say on what network these days because of all the censorship. Um, but the things that people are injecting in their arms is the other externality besides the disease itself. And, and the disease itself being, you know, generally respiratory, although I, I will admit it does have thrombotic, it does have clotting related aspects to it, but it's about one tenth to one one hundredth the rate of, of being vaccinated because you're bypassing your mucosal defenses in your lungs. You're going directly into your body with a needle into your deltoid muscle, into your arm. I mean, you have strong mucosal defenses in your lungs and that's how you would get COVID, right? Um, why would you go, why would you bypass that and go into your arm um, to, to put a spike protein into your body? or a, an ability to generate a spike protein with the uh, mRNA. That's what you're doing. Your body's attacking it with clots and it's it's a death lottery. You know, what are the chances you're gonna die? Well, um, or or be hurt or injured. It, it's the, the chances we know are, are getting more and more because more and more people are coming forward with, um, with clots and bleeds. Uh, and I'll just, before I move on, I'll say there's three things that happened. I call it the, in my book, uh, it's coming out in September. It's called the the Real CDC: COVID Facts for Regular People. I wrote it so that regular people can understand this. It's, it's not about science and trust the science. It's look at the guy down the street who died of a pulmonary embolism two days after he got the shot. 
and there's a there's plenty of them. Um, so there are three things that happened. I call it the symptom spectrum profile. What is the spectrum of symptoms that cause deaths over over a span of time? What does it look like in 20? What does it look like in 21? Did it change? Yes, it did change. I just explained that. That's the symptom spectrum profile. The age spectrum profile, what are the ages of excess deaths? When you strip away what's normal based on 2015 through 2019, what's what's normal, okay, was a 75.8 um, uh, uh, average age of death. But in it jumped to 76.2 in uh, 21, excuse me, in, um, in 20, 2020. And then it went back down to 75.0. Yeah. And, uh, so how does it swing that much? We're talking 60,000 people die a year in Massachusetts, roughly. So in order to move the needle that much in average age of death, the excess deaths, okay, had to be in the 79 to 82 range in, uh, 2020. And the average age of COVID death was 81.3. So you could attribute COVID being 81.3 in the middle of that range of excess deaths and say, oh, okay, well, COVID or, or whatever killed these people, it's the same age range. But in 21, the average age of excess deaths, uh, using the algorithm I have, is between 59 and 69. Okay, the excess deaths are between 59 and 69. But the average age of COVID death was 75.8 in 21. So how can it be six years older than the far end of the age range? It's basically 16 years older than the middle of the age range. It doesn't make any sense. It it can't be COVID killing people if the excess people dying are much younger than the COVID people dying. Something else is killing much younger people. And when you start killing 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds, that that brings that average age down for that excess deaths but hey man what are they dying from it's not covid they're dying from cardiac arrhythmia cardiac arrest pulmonary embolism uh post hemorrhagic anemia thrombocytopenia uh, and other things related to to the blood so i call it the age spectrum profile so there's that and then there's the seasonality profile is the third one then i'll take a breath and see if you have any questions so the uh the seasonality profile in 2020, you have a disease enter society and the curve goes up, all cause goes up, and then the warmer weather comes in May in Boston and in, in Massachusetts and New York and New Jersey, and all of a sudden it goes down and there's nothing for the whole summer. That's a highly seasonal respiratory virus. And it doesn't pick up again until November when it gets cold again and the sustained daily high uh, drops below 55 for about a week. Okay, that's a seasonal. That's a that's a seasonal externality that entered society and caused excess deaths. Now, the excess deaths that I talk about in 2021, where I can look at different age groups and I can look at different bands, there's no seasonality to it. It's steady state. In fact, it follows the vaccine uptake curve. There's a ramping up, and then it goes flat, which is okay. Everybody's vaccinated, and people are dying in excess, not seasonally but along with the vaccine uptake curve. So now I've got three things I've proven. And, and I didn't even get to the individual cases and fatality reports like that the doctors wrote, but the individual cases I, I could talk about in a minute. But with regard to the data itself, you have the symptom spectrum profile changing on a year boundary. What people are dying from all of a sudden changes. 
you have the age spectrum profile dropping 16 years on a year boundary, and you have the seasonality profile completely disparate, one being seasonal and the other being steady state. It's crazy. It, it's that so that that's the that's the data analysis part, Gary. Okay, uh, I, John, thank you for that. We have to understand that this is a little technical. That there a person can get overwhelmed with all the numbers. So I'm going to ask you now, please. Let's make it simple. Give us your conclusions at this point from what you and your colleagues had done, because up to this point, I'm not aware of anyone else on the planet that had reviewed five or 400,000 plus death certificates and then went into depth on that and then started doing these charts. There are certainly uh, epidemiologists and others who showed that there was a causal relationship between those who were, let's say, stayed at home and depending upon their age and who was with them and whether they exercised, what they did, and causes of uh, injury and death. And because people weren't allowed to go out, socialize, be in the sun, exercise, and, and go on with their lives. And we know that stress creates cortisol rushes. In other words, your stress hormones, catecholamines, cortisol, uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, adrenaline. And when that's elevated, then you're at a greater risk of having irregular heart rhythms. Just being angry, being depressed, being anxious can cause irregular heartbeat, and that can cause AFib, that can cause death. So we know that it was unhealthy. And yet to this date, no one in the media, no one, and no one in any government agency has said, we got it wrong about quarantining. We got it wrong about uh, the quality of the PCR test. As Kerry Mullis, who was a friend of mine, professional friend, I filmed it, the longest interview I ever did that was filmed is up on the internet. And he said, you know, the PCR test is very important, but don't use it to determine the state of a disease. It'll show you what's there, but depending upon amplifications, above 13 amplifications, he said, you're going to see something, but it's not going to be meaningful. It'll be junk. And yet we were doing 41 to 44 amplifications. So it meant that an awful lot of people who might have been exposed to the COVID virus, but the virus was not capable of destroying their immune system and leading to hospitalization or death. In fact, the vast majority of people, especially younger people, younger meaning under 70, um, were infected, therefore had natural immunity. But then they downplayed natural immunity. They overplayed the PCR test. So we had a lot of people called cases who weren't. Then we had the masks. You don't need masks. Then you need masks. Then you need two masks. So we did the actual studies, Richard Gale, myself, we looked at every single study in the peer-reviewed literature on masks, and we found that the masks people were using were not protective, actually caused harm. Then they said that uh, don't treat yourself, meaning don't even build up your immune system, don't have a healthy diet, don't have a glass of orange juice. They told us not to do anything, just wait, either for the vaccine or and the deadly uh, type of treatment, which was the intubation and the respiratory treatment, which pulmonologists were telling us at the time, if you remember, this is not working, that this is the wrong treatment. But they were told there was nothing else you could do except give remdesivir, and remdesivir had never been tested for COVID in humans. It was tested on the Ebola virus in Africa, and 54% of the people who took it died within a week, and therefore they stopped it. 
Well, that would have meant it was a deadly drug, should never have been used. Now, how did it become the number one drug used this whole time? And therefore, how many people went to hospital and ended up dying because of the drug, the treatment, iatrogenesis, medically induced death? No one was willing to acknowledge that, but no one researched it. I know you've done research on this, so here are the issues I'd like you to address, please. What do you believe now you can show, at least statistically, using the CDC's own statistics, and in this case, uh, Connecticut as an example, what do you believe was the primary cause of death after the first year, after 2020, where you suddenly saw spikes in unaccounted death? Why were these deaths occurring, these anomalies? And these continue. That's number one. Did you find anything that showed that remdesivir, the drug that Anthony Fauci was promoting, hospitals were using, and hospitals and physicians were getting extra bonuses for using it, financial bonuses? I think it was a 15 or 20 percent bonus. How many people then ended up having kidney failure from remdesivir, which then would have impacted their lungs? Because when your kidneys go, you're almost always going to have a buildup of mucus and water in the lungs and then you're susceptible to bacterial infections as well. So could you address these as the conclusion, then we can work backwards? Please do so. Sure. Um, th there, there was a lot of talk about renal failure at one time um, on the social media, and there, there were a lot of graphs, and it was up 20%. Renal failure is up 20%. And I thought, I've seen a lot bigger numbers in my data. So, so I, I'm like, what's the difference? The CDC was bundling acute and chronic renal failure. Now, a lot of older people died with chronic renal failure in uh, in uh, 2020, which created a deficit. They weren't around to die again. So, chronic renal failure either flat went flat or or went down in 21, which obscured the signal of acute renal failure. Like something happened to people that they did not have a kidney problem before, and they acutely suddenly have a kidney problem, and they died with. Uh, acute renal failure involved death. Now, just to give you an idea of the numbers, in Massachusetts alone. Oh, and, and let me uh, let me add one thing. Um, so Aaron in New York City got the Vermont data. It does not have ICD-10 codes, but we can do uh, word character string searches on something like, you know, cardiomyopathy or, um, you know, uh, acute kidney injury is what they call it there. So we were able to determine stuff from Vermont, but Vermont's very small. And we came across a uh, an anonymous person in Minnesota who got their death certificates to the tune of 400,000. I have a million death certificates now from three different states. And with regard to the uh, acute renal failure, acute kidney injury, um, 2,000 excess souls, more than normal, in the last two years in Massachusetts alone, died involving acute renal failure. I don't know if it's remdesivir. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. Uh, it did not. It does not say the medicament that is used uh, it, it, on the death certificate. Often, um, it just says acute renal failure was involved in their death, either the primary cause or you know one of the contributing causes, something like that. But it, it's 2,000 excess people. That that's. I mean, to put this into context, it extrapolates to 100,000 people in the United States, and what that means is. This single cause of death is greater than anything since the Spanish flu. Nobody's talking about it. The CDC's not talking about it. There, there's deliberate indifference, which is a mens rea standard, a mental state standard for uh, major felony murder crimes. It, it, the, the willful uh, indifference or the willful ignorance, uh, you, there's all kinds of names, Crim, criminal negligence, 
Depends on what state you're in. They all mean the same thing. It's gross, reckless murder. Um, they're not looking at it. How can they not? How can they not be looking at something that killed a hundred thousand Americans over the last two years? And these go down to twenty-five years old. These people go in. Oh, you have COVID. We're going to put you on this drug. Well, is it the drug? Is it the vaccine? There's there's a few variables that happened in twenty-one, uh, and it's you know. And, and a little bit at the end of uh, it started in November. The, the uptick in acute renal failure started in November. The EUA approval down to 12 year olds. Uh, there were three remdesivir approvals. One was October 22nd, 2020. And in the middle of November, acute renal failure starts going up. And then the vaccine comes in and then people have worse outcomes respiratorily, if that's a word. Um, and, and they go to the hospital because they're feeling worse than they otherwise would have without the vaccine. And then they end up being put on remdesivir and their kidneys fail and then their lungs fill up. Like you said, you're absolutely right. Uh, and the bacterial pneumonia, by the way, uh, let me hit that one real quick. So viral pneumonia was up in 20. Pneumonia unspecified was up in 20 and bacterial was also up in 20. And then 21 comes along, viral uh, pneumonia dropped in half. COVID dropped in half, all cause dropped in half, pneumonia unspecified dropped in half, bacterial pneumonia is still high. Why? <laughs> this makes absolutely no sense, except that if you go to the NIH website on how to treat COVID, you will not find the word antibiotic. By withholding antibiotics from people, and they told doctors not to prescribe antibiotics, you're gonna make them antibiotic resistant. Oh, okay, how's that gonna work when he's dead? He won't, oh, he's not antibiotic resistant anymore, he's dead. That's that's a great job, NIH, National Institutes of Health. Good job. Uh, how many people died of bacterial pneumonia? Because they were refused to give them antibiotics, which we've had since, the, what, the 20s? A uh, 100 years? This is crazy what's going on. And it's, I believe a lot of it's, it's beyond criminal negligence. Um, so back to the acute renal failure. Minnesota, 1,600 excess deaths in the last two years from acute renal failure alone. You look at... Vermont, same thing. It's consistent across three states and one million death certificates analyzed. Acute renal failure, you know, aside from cardiac arrest, is is the biggest pandemic, and it's man-made. So, something did this, and it's not COVID because it doesn't track with COVID infections at all. It tracks with the use of a, you know the drug you mentioned, and it tracks with the the thing that goes in your arm, the vaccine and remdesivir. I'll say it. Um, so that's. That's absolute. Uh, I hope to get a um, notice out to the CDC by the end of the month. Uh, notice is a legal uh, term. They cannot then say that they didn't know about it. When I provide them all the data for the acute renal failure deaths, I did this in Minnesota. I sent a memorandum of notice to the governor, the attorney general, the health commissioner, and the lieutenant governor of Minnesota. Uh, explaining that they have a legal duty to act on information and belief that many people are dying. And that legal duty, if, it, if, if there is inaction where they refuse to investigate these deaths and more people die, that's murder. These are criminal problems that they think, oh, well, we, we control the, uh, the criminal investigation, the Department of Justice and, and the state uh, criminal justice bureaus. So no, who's gonna investigate us? We are the ones that investigate. Yeah, well, you know, maybe we elect somebody else in the next four, eight, even 20 years. There's no statute of limitations. So I'll, I'll stop there. Did I, um, I answered about remdesivir. Yeah, it's a 20% adder. 
Uh, it's a complex uh, funding scheme through FEMA uh, and the CARES Act and so forth. And yeah, that, that's, I think that answered. Thank you, Robert. A very important issue is from your research and your colleagues, would you give us your best guesstimate of a number of people who you believe, based upon all this, died because of the treatment, not the virus? Um, okay, so I interviewed a medical examiner who worked in Massachusetts and um, for three and a half hours, and I reviewed hundreds of death certificates, all the causes, how they get coded, how she or he or it did it, um, and then and I'm not going to give up the gender. But basically, in the first wave where 8,800 excess people died and were, just about everything was labeled COVID, the medical examiners didn't go to the office. They didn't do blood labs. They didn't do tissue samples. They didn't do imaging. They'd call the old folks home and say what happened. And the people would say, well, she was 94. She was coughing and then she died. She's 94. Okay, that's COVID death. COVID, 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 COVID. Everything's COVID. Um, I've got hundreds of uh, blunt force trauma to the head, blunt force trauma to the torso, tested the dead body for COVID, car accidents, falling off ladders, falling down the stairs. I've got acute fentanyl intoxications. Uh, these are in Exhibit F of my lawsuit against the state for massive amounts of fraud on public records. Uh, this isn't just me saying this. I've sworn to it uh, under penalties of perjury in prison time. 123 pages of hard evidence from state records and death certificates in Exhibit F filed in the District of Massachusetts U.S. District Court. Um, so, yeah, I think about 90 percent, to answer your question, of, of the COVID deaths are fraudulent. They didn't die from COVID or COVID wasn't even involved in their deaths. Uh, probably about 10% of the purported numbers of COVID deaths are actually real. The, the top three sovereigns in the world as of July 27th, 2020, and I have the full year, but I, just look into the first wave, the first, everybody going crazy, everybody being afraid, everybody fearing this thing. New, New Jersey was number one, New York number two, Massachusetts number three, number four was Belgium. Massachusetts was 50% more than Belgium. So you have three sovereigns running away from the entire world in COVID deaths per million. Oh, oh, did it start here? I don't think it started here. You look at all the fraud that occurred and everything that, that went down during that time. If 90% of the death certificates are fraudulent from COVID, they drove the fear and pandemic to the world. The, the numbers that people looked at for the United States during that time were basically comprised of New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. They drove this worldwide. And Wall Street is in New York, and Massachusetts has 600 pharma companies with over 47 billion in venture financing. We've got 10 companies with over a billion in revenue in pharma. We have 50 companies with over 100 million in revenue in Massachusetts. Walensky's from Massachusetts. The Boston Consulting Group that put all this stuff together is in Massachusetts. It's all tied to Massachusetts. I'm sure you're familiar with Ed Dowd. Ed Dowd was a manager of a rock, uh, BlackRock firm. I think managed about $25 million billion in assets. He had no background in, in science or medicine. But then in one of those um, serendipitous moments, he began to look 
at insurance actuaries. These are people, it's not theoretical, it's not hypothetical, it's not subjective. When someone has a life insurance policy and they die, the cause of death is listed and then their the person or their heirs or the family is given the money. So you have some real figures. And what he found, he and his group, and he, he brought in some PhDs who were specialists, and they spent months going over the data, and the data just shocked him. He found from 20 to 40% excess deaths beyond normal. And he started, as you did, with a baseline of 2015. And then 16, 17, 18, 19, everything was kind of normal. There, was no, there were no spikes in deaths. So let's just say for argument's sake uh, that there's a million eight hundred and fifty thousand deaths in the United States from all causes every year. Okay, and that's pretty much what it was. And of course, the people most likely to die are those who are older with comorbidities, those in nursing homes, assisted living centers, and of course, hospice care. And in hospice care, people can live days, weeks, maybe a month or two but generally not longer. There, there's nothing medicine can do. They, they're there and, they're, and there are some drugs they can give them to speed up the death process. And uh, we saw that in Great Britain also, where there's a special tranquilizer. You don't use this, but in people in hospice care who are in great pain and have said, don't resuscitate, they give this to them and they go to sleep and then their heart stops. More than 100,000 of these prescriptions were given. Were they given with people's consent or not? They haven't shared that information, but that's 100,000 deaths, and they were giving it to people also in nursing homes. And uh, that was a big red flag for me, because in nursing homes, they still can live, and depending upon their care, how long they live and to what quality of life, hospice care, there's, there's nothing left there at the end. So when you eliminate all those older people, as you suggested, when you, you can't die twice. So once they died, and a lot of them died, not from COVID directly, but from the vaccines. Because we saw in the treatment, we saw nursing homes in Norway, as an example, in other countries uh, in Spain that had, in Gibraltar, that had no COVID. And then they would go in and they would vaccinate these people. Then they developed COVID from the vaccines, and then they died. And no one stopped to say, hold on a second. Shouldn't we be giving the best medical care we can to those who have multiple comorbidities who are older? But they didn't. There were treatments for cancer, heart disease, renal failure, pulmonary conditions. None of that was used. And so you had big numbers of people dying off. And in Sweden, they went one step further and uh, their philosophy was older people are not going to be uh, dealt with because at their end of their life, their average age is over 80, and we better save all of our medicines, hospital beds for younger people who have their lives ahead of them. Pragmatically, you can understand the argument. You've lived a long life, you have comorbidities, you've got emphysema, You've got cancer, you have heart disease, congestive heart failure, you've got dementia. Let's let those people die and let's put our energy into the younger people. 
And that's what they did. And other countries followed suit. And so we weren't paying attention to the fact that young people weren't dying of COVID, and especially teenagers and children, and yet they were being mandated vaccines as if we were all equally uh, culpable of developing COVID and dying, that there was no benefit to building up your immune system. I wrote articles along with Richard Gale using only data from the library of medicine, only data that had multiple hundreds, if not thousands of articles showing that vitamin C, zinc, uh, quercetin, vitamin D3, magnesium, intravenous vitamin C, how that would help strengthen a person's immune system. The people who come to my site, my website, GaryNall.com, they got the benefit of that. But none of that was shared. There was no one in any position of authority, not a single person I'm aware of, like Fauci or the Surgeon General, who said, let's have a Marshall Plan to get people healthy. No, they just terrorized everyone. People were in absolute fear. So that in and of itself was something that we didn't look at. But now, when Ed Dowd is looking at the figures, suddenly, starting in 2021, not 2020, boom, this huge spike of dying of unknown causes. Well, no, every cause is known. If you get the autopsy, you know what it is. And so now the CDC has refused to look at those figures. The media doesn't touch those figures because then the numbers add up. It could be 300, 400,000 additional deaths per year in the United States of unknown causes. Well, the only thing that all these people had in common were vaccines, including young people. So what does your research, again, not as a, as a uh, health scientist or a physician, but someone who has used the numbers, as Ed Dow did from insurance actuaries, to show that there's a whole story here that has not been revealed or explained to the American public? Yeah, so um, it, Ed and I talked for, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half one, one day, and uh, he, he, we, we wanted to talk because he has high-level data, and I have mid- to low-level data, uh, levels of abstraction, like the details. And um, he, he said, uh, he told me, you got to write a book. It corroborates everything I've done. And I, I got off the phone with Carlos and Yuri, uh, his guys in, in, in Europe, um, yesterday or the day before. We talk now and then. Uh, the the um, They want me to be careful on the remdesivir because <laughs> we don't know if it's remdesivir or the vaccine. And they're absolutely right. I, I, I can't be saying it's one thing because I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but, um, you know, the first thing it says in my book is Ed told me to write this book. It's uh, thank you, Ed. Thanks for telling me to write this book and taking up uh, months of my time. You know, I'm very, very appreciative that he he, he uh, had the confidence in me and told me I should write it. Um, it corroborates what he says in that. You know, I I can't really give you a number, but I mean, I, I guess I will. Uh, my opinion, it's probably at least six hundred thousand. But what I can prove in data is at least three hundred thousand people have been murdered by these vaccines. There's no question about it. The, ca the causes, the symptom spectrum profile of deaths across society, um, that's absolutely clear. There's no question. And, and you're right. I don't, you know, you know, my stuff goes back 16 months. I wrote these articles 16 months ago. People are only finding me now. You know, Exhibit F was filed 
um, what's today, the 23rd? It was filed on August 23rd, 2022, a year ago. Exhibit F, it's it's got, it's 123 pages documented uh, vaccine deaths and fraud and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, the answer is, um, Ed's right on the money, obviously, because it's just data, you know, it's, and the, and the other side, dueling research papers, well, our research paper, randomized control trial shows this, oh, well, ours shows that. You, you can argue those because there are confidence intervals and p-values and it's statistics, but you can't argue what Ed did. You can't argue what I what I did. And I can show you individuals, like a 30-year-old woman who had, uh, you know, right away she had a terrible headache, went to the ER, it was so bad, they sent her home. She went again, they sent her home. She didn't recognize her sister. They brought her back, they cut a hole in her head to relieve the pressure because she was having a stroke. Didn't work. She was paralyzed and half her body had a seizure. Um, she also, um, uh, she was brain dead in a couple of days. They took her off life support in two weeks, uh, on her death certificate. You know what it says she died from as a root cause COVID she had COVID four months earlier, asymptomatically. She reacted to the vaccine in hours, no mention of the vaccine on her death certificate. Six doctors from the Harvard medical college, Beth Israel Deaconess hospital wrote a six page report about her death. Fatal post-COVID mRNA vaccine-associated cerebral ischemia. Translated, that means the vaccine killed her by stroke. That's what the title says. Every paragraph says there are several reports of several COVID vaccines causing cerebral venous sinus thrombosis in the setting of thrombocytopenia. These are frequent. And they're saying, you know, frequent, several reports, many case reports. Oh, but she didn't have a CVST type of stroke. She had ischemic, ischemic stroke. But two weeks before uh, Brianna was injected, Diane died at 62 from an acute intracranial hemorrhage in the setting of thrombocytopenia, which the report says is frequent. She had a, she got injected, had a headache, and was dead in a few days. And five weeks after Brianna, this is all Massachusetts, five weeks after Brianna died, Eden got injected. She was 17, 17 years old. She went to the doctor. You have a headache. Go home. She went to the doctor again. Here's some Tylenol. Go home. She, the headache resolved. She got her second shot. She died of a hemorrhagic stroke at 17 years old. They killed John, three women in three months. John, we're out of time. Thank okay, you very sorry. much for the research you've done. It's important. It's groundbreaking. And we look forward to what happens with the lawsuits. We'll invite you back after the lawsuits so we can examine that at the same time. I'm Gary Nall. Thank you all for taking your time to watch and li listen. We're presenting information, and this is going to be only one part of a larger picture. And you can go to John's website, uh, Substack, at, let me spell it, C-O-Q-U-I-N-D-E-C-H-I-E-N, Substack.com. Have a nice day, everyone. Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying.